Okay, our reading for today is the 18th chapter of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18. Uh, Let's dive in and think about what we find here. The first thing I want us to think about are the fact that the lowly are exalted in the kingdom. The lowly are exalted. Um, It's not entirely unexpected that this chapter would begin with the question we find uh, debated in verse 1. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? We're not told specifically how this question arose, but it's not a complete stretch to guess that it might have had something to do with the fact that three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, had just been given a gracious gift in witnessing the transfiguration of the Lord. Uh, We don't know, but one can imagine a scenario uh, in which the special favor they had received perhaps led them to believe that they would be more favored than the others and might be the greatest in the kingdom. So the question was being tossed around for one reason or another, uh, and they eventually brought the question to Jesus. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Well, Jesus lays out to them the great role reversal in the kingdom of God. Those who are seeking status for themselves will find themselves in the back of the line in God's kingdom. Like little children who care nothing for social status or gaining prominence in their social standing, the follower of Jesus should be concerned or should concern himself with humbling himself and seeking the favor and blessing of God rather than the praise of other men. Verses 2 through 4. And you can see also Jesus talking about that, remember, back in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. It's the same idea that Peter spoke about in 1 Peter 5, 6 when he said, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. You can also see James saying something very similar in James chapter 4, verse 10. Humility is what is, is, um, is offered here, not... Who is the greatest? Well, let's think. say something about humility, though. What is humility? Well, humility isn't going around thinking badly of yourself or constantly putting yourself down. Rather, real humility simply isn't thinking of yourself at all. That's why Philippians 2, 3 will say, In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Just as Jesus lived the entirety of his earthly life as a substitutionary sacrifice for others, he calls us to do the same. The Lord resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble and, and, and declares, this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word, Isaiah 66, 2. This is the one who is going to be exalted in the kingdom of heaven. The lowly are exalted in the kingdom. Secondly, let's think about the role of the church in our perseverance in the faith. The role of the church in our perseverance in the faith. The bulk of this chapter revolves around Jesus' instructions in verses 15 through 17 concerning reconciling with one who has sinned against you. In those verses, Jesus lays out a process of reconciliation. One, go to the offending person yourself, if if unsuccessful in that. Two, Take one or two others with you. If you're still unsuccessful, three, take the matter before the church. At any point in that process, if in that any point, the, 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 the offending person repents and asks for forgiveness, then the goal has been reached and reconciliation has been achieved. Here's what I want to point out here, though, about that passage. 
the desire to forgive and reconcile with the one who has sinned against you is the key. The desire to forgive and reconcile is the key. Notice, it is the offended one in verse 15 that Jesus commands to take the initiative in reconciliation. I mean, I don't know if you've ever really thought about that. The offended one is who Jesus commands to take the initiative. And you guessed it, that requires humility that that we just talked about at the beginning of the chapter. It is all too easy to hold a grudge against someone who's offended you, to write them off, cut them off, um, you have no more communication with them, I'm not going to talk to them, just avoid them, ignore them, talk about them to other people, resent them. In essence, punish them as much as you can for what they did to you or said about you. That is exactly the mindset that Jesus warns against in this passage. This is why Matthew bookends this section with two parables. The parable of the lost sheep in verses 10 to 14 and the parable of the unforgiving servant in verses 21 to 34. Both are parables about restoration and forgiveness. And this leads to the last observation we'll note in this chapter, and that is about accepting forgiveness and giving forgiveness. Accepting forgiveness and giving forgiveness. The parable of the unforgiving servant that Jesus tells, beginning in verse 23, is a strong call for those who claim the forgiveness of Christ to give forgiveness to others at every opportunity. The parable has to do with a servant who was forgiven an incredible debt. 10,000 talents in verse 24 was an astronomical amount. Um, the equivalent of, of two, <laughs> I mean, seriously, it was the equivalent of 200,000 years worth of wages. <laughs> um, and having been forgiven uh, this immeasurable debt that he would never have been able to pay, this quote-unquote forgiven man then ruthlessly proceeded to require another servant to pay every last penny of what he owed him, verses 28 to 30. When the master heard it, he revoked the mercy he had given to the first servant and forced him to pay the debt that he owed, verses 21 to 30, um, excuse me, 31 to 34. What was Jesus' point? It's pretty clear. The one who has received the forgiveness of God is the one who is to be eager to give forgiveness from your heart to other people when, when the opportunity arises. Verse 35, Jesus says the one who refuses to forgive is the one who has never really understood the forgiveness they've been given by the Lord. I mean, just that, that requires that we think deeply about how much we have been forgiven in Christ. When you feel the weight and understand the depths of your own sin against the Lord and then take into account that you will experience none, none of what you deserve because of what Jesus has done for you, but will instead experience all the blessing that Jesus earned for you by his perfect life, we begin to see the little grievances and grudges that we hold as petty and and ugly as they really are. Unforgiveness is dangerous. Jesus says in verse 35 that it can be damning. Unforgiveness reveals a proud heart that the Lord has already told you that he actively resists James 4, 6. By contrast, humble forgiveness of one who has truly offended you shows that you understand how much the Lord has forgiven you. Colossians three thirteen is an example of that. 
every person you forgive is another picture of the gospel to the world. Every time you are tempted to make your circumstance a special case or an exception, remember the Lord makes no exceptions with us when we come to him in humble repentance and faith. In fact, God in his grace sent his son to earn our forgiveness while we were still sinners, Romans 5, 8. So search your heart today to see if there's anything hindering your complete obedience to Jesus' call to you here to forgive just as you have been forgiven. And if there's anything hindering your obedience, ask the Lord to give you the grace to repent of it thoroughly and wholeheartedly so you can obey him joyfully. And that's Matthew chapter 18.